want everybody please give me your best here tonight. And Father, I'm, I'm going to pray, but not everybody's agreeing with me tonight. We're, we're going to come together as a team tonight, okay, with this word. I need y'all to help me preach this tonight, just to, your support, but just pray with me. So Father, we pray tonight over the word of the Lord that you come upon me, Lord, and speak through me in glory and power, strong anointing. Lord, I pray that by the awesome presence and power of your Holy Spirit, that you would help people to have eyes to see and ears to hear because it's eyes and ears of the Spirit. It's beyond just the natural realm. That's why Jesus asked the question, or rather he made the statement, people have eyes to see, but they don't see. So we've got to be able to see spiritually what the Lord is showing us and hear with our spiritual ears. So anoint our eyes and ears. Lord, give us good fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives to, and help us just to get tuned in, Holy Spirit. Just lock us into what the Lord is speaking, that we're not going to be distracted, minds are not going to wander, things are not going to be going on like that, but rather we're just locked into what the Lord is saying, and we bind any distraction or hindrance of the enemy commit to go. But Lord, that you speak through me your word, and the parable of the seed and the sower, it'll be good um, seed of truth, Lord, that will go out as living seeds in the good fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives to be watered by the precious Holy Spirit. And, Lord, that you'll cause those seeds to take root and grow and produce a hundredfold harvest that remains until Jesus comes. Lord, let your angels watch over your word. For the Bible says that the word will go forth and accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. And, Lord, I pray that as the word goes forth, it'll be like the washing of the water. The word will be like a light shining and dispelling the darkness. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Come, Holy Spirit. All right, Communion Hebrew Roots, Part 16, Yom Kippur and the Glory. I'm going to take this quite differently than I want you just to bear with me, but I want you to have your spiritual ears on today and really tune in your hearts because I feel such a burden about this sermon. I feel a deep burden about this region. I'm very concerned about our nation. I'm very concerned about Dallas. And I really feel like God is, is wanting to send a great revival. I really do. And I sense revival for River of Life. It's almost like I can smell the rain. But we've got to get things where they need to be, okay? I don't want the Lord to pass us by. And so this sermon tonight is going to be convicting for everyone. And uh, it's going to be challenging. But I encourage you that when I've heard these sermons, these type of sermons were preached all the time at Brownsville, all the time. And um, I was convicted all the time by sermons I heard come out of that move of God, whether it was from John Kilpatrick or um, Michael Brown or Dick Rubin or um, you know Chaplain Robertson and Steve Hill and many others. I felt convicted. I felt the Holy Spirit calling me to go deeper. Many times we think that we're a certain way, but the heart is deceitful and wicked. Only God can know the heart. And, and just like there's a deception sometimes from person to person. If we're not careful, we can deceive ourselves into thinking things are a certain way, but they're not. Instead of trying to judge ourselves um, with our own human intellect, I think it would be wise to ask the Lord, Lord, would you show me how you want me to see things? Help me to see it the way you do. I think that's a much, uh, much more wisdom in our prayer. So tonight I'm going to be speaking about Yom Kippur, if you could bring my mic down just a tiny bit, I'm getting a little bit of a ring. Last week in part 15, I talked about Yom Teruah, the Feast of the Trumpets, also called Rosh Hashanah, but that's not what God calls it. God calls it Yom Teruah. 
the emphasis was on the trumpets. Yom Teruah is the first of the fall feast, and it's the next thing in God's prophetic calendar. It has to do with the catching away of the bride. Um, many call it the rapture. But it's the catching away of the bride that's made herself ready. Those that are ready when the Lord comes. And there's, in, there's a couple statements you can see about the Jewish wedding. How the bridegroom would go like a thief in the night and catch away the bride. And no man knew the day nor the hour but the father. I've already explained that. But that you can see also a Yom Teruah. If you go back and study this out. Um, the Kohanim, the priests, were the ones that kept up with the timing. And they would have these witnesses up on hills. And they would be looking to the sky. And no man knew the exact day nor the hour that Yom Teruah would even take place. Because once that moon went completely black, they had to wait for the crescent of that to start happening. And as soon as that moon started to become crescent, they would begin to build fires. And those fires were signal lights. And the priest would see them, and they would begin to blast the trumpets, the shofar, the shofarim. They would blast the shofar, and it began the Feast of Trumpets. So no man knew the exact day nor the hour, and you can certainly see the symbolism there, that in this feast it's connected to that catching away. Jesus is coming like a thief in the night, and nobody, nobody knows that day nor hour. I mean, it's going to come, um, the Bible talks about like the twinkling of an eye, it's going to be quick. There's going to be a shofar blast when he comes and a snatching away. And I don't know about you, but I want to be ready when the Lord comes. And that means I've got to live my life every day as though he could come tomorrow. Yeah, well, I hope we all understand that. So, also you can see as they lit fires up on those hills as a signal, I really believe God is wanting to pour out his spirit and send great revival fire in these last days to prepare for the coming of the Lord, to prepare the church. I mean, there's so many people in the church that are not ready should the Lord come right now. And we need great revival to purify the church. All right, so in Yom Kippur is the second feast. This is a time of fasting and mourning and repentance and getting things right with God, which is great. We all need to do that. We need to have times where we pray and fast and seek God and make sure things are right. I believe in that. Yom Kippur prophetically on God's prophetic calendar speaks of the days of Jacob's trouble, the tribulation time that will take place on the earth for seven years. After the catching away of the bride, there's going to be a seven-year time. The Bible calls the tribulation or the days of Jacob's trouble. And Israel is really going to go through it. And God's going to allow Israel to be kind of broken down, so to speak. It's going to be um, a judgment of cleansing that's going to break things down and that nation is going to be very humble and broken when Jesus comes so that they can receive him and then we know that tabernacles Sukkot is the third feast and that speaks of when Jesus comes to put his feet on the Mount of Olives and walk into Jerusalem and take over the earth Okay, he's going to rule and reign the world from Jerusalem. He's going to be king of the entire world for a thousand years. And when he comes, he's in that second coming, when he comes in that way, it's going to be like a flash of lightning. All eyes will see him. He will literally slaughter the armies that are coming against Jerusalem, against Israel. And uh, he's going to rule and reign with an iron scepter. 
So with that in mind, I'm dealing with Yom Kippur. And I want to take this from a little different angle. And some other sermons coming up, I'll deal with things like a holy fear of God. But I want to deal tonight with a hunger for God. Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement in the Bible, was the one time a year that a priest would go back behind the veil and would apply blood to the mercy seat. The glory of God was there. There would be like a glory fire there, okay? He would apply the blood. He would sprinkle the blood of a goat that was sacrificed for the sins of Israel. He would take that in a bowl. He had already gone in there once before after he shed blood for his own sin and burned a bunch of incense. So that place was full of incense. But he would come back out, kill a goat. Remember the scapegoat was taken, but he would take the blood of that goat that was sacrificed, go back into the Holy of Holies. And he would sprinkle that blood seven times with his finger on the mercy seat there between the cherubim. And the glory of God would appear. That place was full of incense. And he would begin to pray for Israel. And he would pray for the sins of the people to be forgiven. And it was a very hallowed time. I mean, people kind of had bated breath. They would, they would sit there in an, you know awe of God and a holy fear of God. And they were waiting for the priest to emerge back out of the Holy of Holies with a reassurance that God had forgiven them and everything was going to be okay. In fact, in the Jewish writings, and this really did happen, even though it's not in the Bible, it did happen, it's historical. They would have a red scarlet threading like a rope or something, and they would tie it around the temple door every year at Yom Kippur. And after they went through all of this, I mean, the priest, the high priest, he had to self-immerse in water. He had to um, shed blood for his sins. I mean, it was a very hallowed thing. And when he'd go in there... And come out and, and he prayed. Anyway, they would tie that rope on the temple door. And I guess overnight, I don't remember if it said it was during the night time or during, sometime during the day. But over a course of time, that rope would turn from red to white. And they knew that their sins were forgiven. And this happened year after year after year after year. Until Jesus died on the cross. And it stopped happening. And many people believe that's why Isaiah wrote in his writings that though your sins be as scarlet, they'll made it, be made as white as wool. Because he was referring to that, what happened there at the temple. But how many knows when Jesus died on the cross, that veil in the temple was ripped? I don't think that a lot of Christians really realize how much of an incredible honor it is to be called God's priests. I don't think that people realize it. Because in the, in the Old Testament time, it was only the priest that could go into the Holy of Holies. In fact, it was only the priest that could even go in the holy place. And you know that God's presence, maybe not the Shekinah, but God's presence was felt in that tent. And so the priests would go in and burn incense. You know they would sense a presence of God in there. But it was only the priest that could go in to do that. Every day, those that were descendants of Aaron's family, the Kohanim, the priest, they had the morning and evening sacrifice. They'd come in the morning. They would kill a lamb. Blood was shed. The priest would go in in his holy garments to the holy place, 
And he would trim that menorah and make sure all seven branches were lit. He'd make sure the bread and the wine were the way they were supposed to be. Once a week, he changed them out. He would go before that golden altar of incense and he'd burn incense, which represents praise and worship, prayer and intercession unto God. He did this every morning and every evening. But they were the only ones that could go in. I don't think that we, any of us probably really realize how much of an honor it is now that we're able to come into God's presence by the blood of Jesus. It's only by the blood of the Lamb. But it is by His blood that we're able to go in. That's why when Jesus died on the cross and His blood was shed, that, that temple veil was ripped so that we can come into His manifest presence. But that's not something to be taken lightly. I strongly contend with this. And very much, I, I very much feel that, this, that if the body of Christ understood our Hebrew roots the way we're supposed to, they would be a holy fear of God. And people wouldn't be so flippant about the things of God. They wouldn't be. They wouldn't be so flippant about the communion table, about holy things like, like water baptizing people and, and, and anointing people with oil and being able to come into God's presence like this, the ministry of the altar time, the, how holy praise and worship is before God. There wouldn't be people up here leading worship and then going out sleeping around. You know what I'm saying? There wouldn't be that type of filth. I mean, people would have a holy fear of God and understand that even though, yes, the sins of God's people are forgiven, that doesn't mean that we're able just to do whatever we want to do and live in unrepentant sin. There would be a holy fear of God. And so Yom Kippur is a time to really examine oneself and get things right, but this is kind of an examining sermon, what what I'm about to get into, okay? Because as that veil is ripped... And as we can have access into God's presence, and we understand that God allowing us to be priest and being able to come into his presence, how much of an honor and how awesome that really is. You know, people think it's some big thing if if there was some kind of royalty. Maybe come to your house. There's some European royalty or something, or Middle Eastern royalty, or some Asian royalty that was coming to the States, and they were coming to your house. I mean, you're not going to throw down paper plates. You're going to get out some fine china. You're going to clean your house. You know what I'm saying? You're going to sweep and vacuum. You're going to make things. And people, people think, well, it's a great honor to have this royalty come. I mean, how much more of an honor is it to be able to be in God's presence? Let's think about this for a minute. All right, so with that said, I'm going to read you this. Why you give me your best ear? This is my burden right here tonight. I'm going to start with this one, one uh, little paragraph, but then I'm going to read a vision that's completely different. But there was a woman that for many, many years was very, very deeply involved in Satanism. I mean, deeply involved. She was really trapped in it. In fact, she was pulled into it against her will at first, but she couldn't get out. And she got really powerful in it. And I've told her story here a couple times. But anyway, later on, she gave her life to Jesus. But I want you to to please listen to this wisdom from her right here. She said, during my years in Satanism, I was carefully trained and I trained others how to infiltrate and destroy various Christian churches. Now listen to this right here. Satan's goal, this is this woman saying she was taught this and she in turn taught others. 
She says, Satan's goal is to make every Christian church just like the church of Laodicea described by the Lord Jesus in Revelation 3, 15 through 16. And then she quotes it. I know thy works, that thou art neither hot nor cold. I would that ye be cold or hot, so that because thou art lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth or vomit you out of my mouth. And she says, churches full of passive people who never bother to read or study the Bible. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. They're described in 2 Timothy 3, verse 5. These people are not a threat to Satan. (laughs) Is this really sinking in? Because sometimes when you preach things, you, you think that maybe some people got it, some people didn't. This is coming from somebody that served the devil and was trained to infiltrate churches because Satan's goal was that every single one of them be lukewarm. That people there no longer were prayer warriors. People there no longer were in the word of God. They were passive and they were spiritually lukewarm because in that condition they were absolutely no threat to the devil whatsoever. And she went on to say we were taught this basic attack plan that could adapt to different denominations. But anyway, she was just saying that that's Satan's goal is to make them lukewarm. And the very first thing that they were instructed to get out of that church was corporate prayer. He said if there was any corporate prayer, make sure you, you dismantle that somehow. Get prayer out. Because the enemy knows that a praying church is a powerful church. Alright, so with that said, we realize now, we can see that Satan is so deliberate about making churches lukewarm and Christians Christians be passive and to not be prayer warriors and to not be hungry, to not be in the word of God, but to be in that dead lukewarm place spiritually that Satan's desire so fervently that he's even willing to train people and send them into churches to help make sure that that's going to be the way that it is. Think about that for a minute. All right, so now I'm going to read a a vision from a man by the name of James Maloney. And I want this vision to really sink in tonight. He said, Nevertheless, the Lord graced me with an open vision. And what I mean by this is I saw it with my eyes. He said, I wasn't taken anywhere, but he was saying that it was just like being in a movie. You know, you could see and and feel, and it was very real to him. But anyway, here's the vision. He said, I trust that you're familiar with the earthly tabernacle, which River of Life is, because I've taught a lot on that. Talked about the outer court, then the holy place, then the holy of holies. He said, if you read the first part of Hebrews 9 and the last five chapters of Exodus, if you're not, okay, here it goes. He said, so I was in this pavilion which represented the holy place. So in the holy place, remember, you got the lampstand, the table of showbread, the golden altar. It, was overly, it wasn't overly ornate or fancy, <clears throat> but it wasn't dirty or cheap either, just basic and functional. Oddly enough, though, it wasn't the Old Testament time with a bunch of men in robes and, and beards like Moses. There were a few hundred Christians seated here, maybe 400, and they were dressed modernly. 
Many, if not most of them, were in need of some kind of physical healing. I could see the hurting. There was people there with blind eyes and deaf ears and tumors and crippling diseases. There's a whole mess of humanity waiting in this pavilion. I could sense that they were eagerly anticipating ministry for their healing. And I knew that behind us, because here they are in the holy place, behind us was the outer court, down a set of steps. And I thought there were people out there as well. Outside there was sunlight. It was warm and nice. Inside here in the holy place, it was lit by the tall lampstand that was there to emanate the warm light of that flame. The table of showbread was present and the altar of incense and the smell of that incense was intoxicating and it was nice to be here in the holy place too. Don't misunderstand me, but the people were still sick and suffering and I found that that was strange to me. Here we were in the tabernacle of God and these were his people, yet they were still suffering and my heart longed for them to be healed. An angel appeared and escorted me between the wall of the pavilion and a row of seated people in the front where there were two flaps that made a veil separating the holy place from the holy of holies. And the angel was standing there beside one of these flaps. And these two cherubim reached out and lifted them up. They reached out and lifted up the, the two flaps, okay, like this. And a warm light of light, a warm flood of light, I'm sorry, filled the holy place a wave of indescribable glory emanating out of the Holy of Holies, darkening the light of the lampstands, even the sunshine in the outer court, and the people oohed and awed, basking in the glory. And it felt really good just to have that level of glory on us, and some people were improved physically with sicknesses, but they weren't completely healed. Yet they seemed content just to sit there in this level of eminence with God, Absorbing a portion of his power, but they made no motion to go beyond the lifted veil. The angels were standing there, one on each side, holding up the flaps so that the glory could come out to the holy place. And the angels began to beckon us to come into the holy of holies, to go deeper. And they seemed really sad, and these angels seemed really sad that all of us weren't rushing in there to get into the holy place, the holy of holies. Here they were opening the doors and the people just sat there enraptured by the warm rays that were spilling out on them but not wanting to go in. And he said, here I am in this vision watching this and I thought to myself, were they scared? Maybe. Did they feel unworthy? Perhaps some of them. But mostly I think that they were weighed down by dullness. A lack of understanding that lured them into complacency in other words lukewarmness i'm not minimizing their experience but that level of encounter with god wasn't enough to see them completely free and there was no excuse the invitation to enter was for everyone come on in meet the source of this glorious life and i looked at them and i saw them sitting there and i said to myself what are you kidding me of course so i'm going in and so he said, I'll walk through the flaps. <clears throat> and when he did, I guess three other people got the courage and they went with him. One man had a cane. He was dragging his leg as he shuffled into the Holy of Holies. Another woman was utilizing a walker. And the last man was in a wheelchair. And the moment we passed beyond the veil into the Holy of Holies, 
words fail to describe to me words fail me to properly describe the overwhelming awesome presence that bowled us over in this place the light wasn't from the lampstands wasn't from the sun outside in the outer court it was from the glory of the lord while i did not see the father on his throne i saw four and twenty-four elders uh, four and twenty elders who were worshiping him i did not see bolts of fiery lightning followed by crashes of thunder sounds of trumpets royal tapestries beyond human description i saw different things like that everywhere there were lights shafts of, of beams of glory emanating from the father of lights himself ways of his glory ways of his glory rolled over us and we were fully immersed in the single greatest renewing experience i'd ever had it was energizing almost like god's love in his zoe life we're given visibly um, in a form of waves of light that were washing over us then the shock wave hit us and we were bowled over slain in the spirit made like dead men the anointing the reverence was too much to handle we bask in this unrestrained glory of god for a few minutes i stagger back to my feet the angels open the flaps again letting some of that fire and heat escape out into the inner court the holy place when i came out of the holy of holies i saw all the people anticipating for me to minister to them to somehow express the glory i'd witnessed to them vicariously uh, you know they didn't want to go in but they wanted him to somehow give it to them or do it for them you know it's as if they wanted to experience the glory of god but from a distance i was reminded of exodus 33 when moses and joshua went into the tabernacle and every man stood at his tent door they themselves didn't want to go forward and enter in and they were content just for just to have some kind of second-hand experience through moses so these people in the holy place were blessed yes it was a measure the angel led me past past them down the steps out into the outer court where i found maybe 15 to 20 people waiting by the curb these were mostly unchurched, unsaved, crippled people, deaf folks, things like that, on the outside of the tabernacle. And the angel told me to minister to them, and I did. And it was amazing how God's power and his love touched them. The demonized were delivered. Physical sicknesses were healed. Whatever they struggled with, it didn't matter. God's grace was sufficient. They were saved and baptized in the Holy Spirit. And, of course, healed from their physical infirmities. When I finished ministering, the angel led me back inside past the waiting Christians, and the flaps were opened a second time, but once again, inviting everybody to come in as the door was drawn back, I saw, this time I saw the cane fly out. I saw the walker thrown out. I saw the wheelchair pushed out empty. It was then that I came out of the vision, both exhilarated, praising God, as his power came over me yet also i was disheartened that so many people remained in the holy place and went no farther see those kinds of miracles only took place in the holy of holies and i'm convinced that that's what it what it's coming to people must come boldly into the holy of holies for themselves hebrews 4:16. jesus rent the veil that separated us from god's throne room but most Christians seem reluctant to enter in all the way. I maintain that the majority of these kinds of miracles will happen in the Holy of Holies, where the fullness of God's glory is manifest, where we are intimate with the Father. Many are coming into an era of time quickly, 
And I believe it will start with church leadership first, where God demands that his people press beyond the veil of flesh and enter into the Holy of Holies. In order to see the greater works, the greater expressions, the greater miracles. And here's, here's some things I'll read and then I'll finish with this vision. You and I will enter the Holy of Holies and see all kinds of miracles. Just like what I saw in this vision, he said. But we have to press in all the way to experience this. Everybody catch that. You've got to press into God. Bible says, drawn out of God, I'll draw out to you. The days of being lazy and passive and wanting other people to do it for you, that's long gone. And this seems to scare a lot of well-meaning Christians as it scared the Israelites at Mount Sinai. But note that Moses' response to them, don't fear, for God has come to test you, and that his fear may be with you so that you may not sin. But it's interesting that Moses said, don't fear, but let his fear be with you. There's a good fear and a bad fear. There's a good fear where there's this awesome reverence of God and you have a holy, healthy fear of God. But there's a bad fear that makes people want to run away from God. And God wants us to draw near to Him. And here's the last two paragraphs right here. There is always, y'all hear this, there is always a remnant of those who press in harder than others who utilize their rights in Christ Jesus to access the throne room and behold all the all-consuming fire of our God, I want to be one of those people because it is here that the ultimate expression of his power and his might and his grace will be found. That expression comes at a cost of going through the fires, as it were, but it is vital and necessary if we want to see the Lord in, in an ever-increasing measure. Did you catch that? There is always a remnant. There is always a remnant. Everybody say that there's always a remnant. Down through history, there's always been a remnant. And it's always been a smaller group that is pressed into God for all that he has. That's always been there. Even with Jesus' ministry when he was on the earth. I mean, there was 120 in the upper room. Or 120 that met, that were there at the day of Pentecost that were praying together. But there was only Peter, James, and John that really pressed in to the deeper things, remember? And he said this, and this is what I I close out his um, vision with this, but he said, we must come to a state of being um, like dissatisfied satisfaction. A restlessness in the rest of of the Lord. A burning desire to get beyond the flesh. And be consumed with his zeal. His zeal. So what it is, it's like you're you're satisfied in your salvation that you're saved, and you you have rest in that. But there's still something in you that's saying there's more. I'm hungry for more. So you have a rest in him, but at the same time you're burning to go deeper. Steve Hill said this many times, and this is probably my favorite quote from Steve. He said, a man's desperation for the things of God will melt away all preoccupations with self, notoriety, public image, social status. Your hunger and thirst, if it is genuine, 
will drive you to eat and drink regardless of the opinions of others. You'll be willing to be a fool in the sight of others to be embraced in the arms of the Lord. I guess where I'm coming from with this sermon tonight is is we've got to be hungry to go beyond the veil. Yom Kippur, there was only a priest that would go on once a year, one, one man. Man, it's open unto people, and there's no excuse. And listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say some things right now that it may step on some toes and convict, but I'm just going to say it because uh, I love everybody. But if we're really hungry for God, don't deceive yourself and say, oh, I'm so hungry for God. Don't do that. Ask the Lord, Lord, Forgive me if I'm not as hungry as I need to be. Put your hunger in me. But don't have this self-deception where you're telling yourself that you're fine like you are. Isn't that the very thing that the Laodicean church, they said, you know what? We're fine. We're rich. We're in need of nothing. We're fine just like we are. And the Lord said, no, no, no. I counsel you to buy gold, refine in the fire for me, and let me put eye salve, the anointing on your eyes, because here's how I see you. You're wretched, poor, naked, and blind. They were saying, hey, I'm great. Everything's fine. And Jesus said, no, no, no. It's not fine at all. You're wretched, poor, naked, and blind in my eyes. You just don't see it. And if we're really, truly hungry for God, it will reflect. Jesus said, you'll know a tree by its fruit. It will reflect in your church attendance. It will reflect in your faithful tithing. It will reflect in your heart to be a witness for him and to have a burden for souls. It will. It will show up in your home because you want to pray. You want to read the word. It will show up in those ways. Don't tell me, I love everybody, but don't tell me, oh, I'm so on fire for God. If you're not spending time with him, if you're not faithful to come to God's house, you're not hungry. You're just deceiving yourself. You're just religious. If you're really hungry for God, you cannot wait to get to church and be in God's presence. If you're really hungry for God when you're home, you're like, man, I want to go pray for a little bit today. I want to make sure I have my time with the Lord, you know. If you're really hungry for God, you're like, man, I want to learn something out of the Word. I'm hungry. Even if you can't, I understand sometimes people just absolutely can't be at church, but if they can, if they're hungry, they'll be live streaming it. You know what? If they're really hungry, they'll go back later and listen to the sermon because they're hungry. It's like, I got it. I got to have more of the Lord. See, the Azusa Street Revival is one of my favorite, but they had a literal glory cloud in their church. Can you imagine? People would come in from all over the world. People were traveling there, but there was literally all the time. Of course, they had church 24-7. William Seymour lived in the church. How would you like that? That'd be awesome. He lived in the glory all those years. He had a loft upstairs. That There was this glory cloud that was on the floor, and as they would come in, this was before they had all this fancy equipment. They had this little piano this guy would play. But as they began to worship and sing in the spirit, that glory would come up off the floor and fill that place with a glory cloud. There were people, this, this happened several times, not once, not twice, several times throughout all those years that fire trucks would show up at the church because people called and really truly thought the building was on fire because they would see a fire, a pillar of fire and smoke above the church. And the firemen would get there to find that that was just the glory of the Lord. Don't tell me this stuff can't happen and can't be real. It's all through the scriptures. 
And God's wanting to manifest among us, but there's got to be a hunger. And what I feel very strongly, very strongly, is I'm living in a region where there's some kind of a spirit, like a principality, that is very religious and is trying to lure people into a lukewarm state and self-deception where they feel like they're fine like they are. And it's frustrating because I'm hungry for God. And I'm wanting God to come down and save people. I'm tired of going out there and seeing all these people like, yeah, I know who Jesus is and I know all this stuff. They're not saved. Uh, Yeah, I go to church sometimes. So what? And I'm wanting God to come down and convict them and draw them unto him and to see true salvations and people hungry for God. And I feel like there's this wrestling of some kind of a principality that has got so many people deceived. And if you want to know the truth about it, I believe a lot of people out there are pretty bored with Christianity in a lot of ways. They're just, they're just going through the motions. And in that ark of God, inside the ark, we know was, a, was the law, the two tablets of the Ten Commandments in there. And God's wanting that his word is going to be life. How many places out there, it's just, it's so, the word of God is so dead. I mean, it's just, it, some of it's just a motivational speech. Other times it's just something out of the head. But God's wanting, he said he would write our, his law upon our hearts. He's wanting that his word, that, there's, that it's life and it's coming out of the glory. It's coming out of the ark of God. And it's in his presence. And the, and the word of God is really feeding his people. And it's, it's really the word of the Lord. You know, I don't, get, I don't go home and just think, well, just any, many, mighty mo, and just open my Bible. And that's what I'm going to preach on. Forget that. I really ask God and God gives me what to talk about. And I write it down. And over the years of doing that over and over, it's just, it's not hard anymore. It just flows. But I really want to be faithful because the Bible says that when Jesus comes, he's looking for um, his stewards who were giving his people their food at the proper time. Another thing that was inside the ark of God was a jar of manna. How many of you guys would like to see what the manna looked like? Heaven food. That heaven food was so powerful that it was these little, like, crackers, and I guess it had, like, some kind of flavor like honey on, on I'm, I'm assuming it was something kind of like matzo bread. I mean, I don't know, but they were eating this, and it satisfied them. I mean, it, it would keep them healthy and strong, and um, even though that wasn't a whole lot of food, it, it seemed to, it was heaven food, okay? It was just, it was enough. But God is wanting that his people, or his people are described as sheep, And he's wanting his sheep to be in pastures where they can feed upon good food and they can have streams of living water flowing, the streams of the Holy Spirit. And when he looks down, he can see, spiritually speaking, his sheep are healthy. But my heart is, and I feel like this is where God's wanting River of Life to go, is he's wanting us to go deeper in his glory. And I'm telling you, I'm not just saying this. I've been with God. I'm telling you. I've heard from God. He's wanting us to go much deeper in his glory. And as we do, there's going to be an increase of healings and miracles. Just mark my word, it's going to happen. 
And I don't mind however God wants to do that. If he, you know, praying for people, we've seen a lot of healings, but I really feel I would love personally as a pastor that we're just up here worshiping Jesus and people are just getting healed in his presence. Because then nobody's going to say, well, you know, Pastor Scott or so-and-so prayed for me. Forget all that. It doesn't matter if I pray for somebody else. Pray for... It doesn't make any difference. Jesus is the healer. But how awesome would it be just to be worshiping him and his glory come in and all kinds of healings were taking place. And the other thing that was inside the ark was Aaron's rod that budded. That we have a true priestly ministry. You know what God is looking for? He's looking for people that will go, that are hungry for him, and that will go in as a priest and spend time with him. And then after they spend time with him as a priest, they'll come out of that time and be a warrior for his kingdom. See, David was a priestly warrior. Remember that? David knew how to worship and pray and how to be in God's presence, but then he also was somebody that took the head off a giant too. You see, it goes together. We got to minister to the Lord and spend time with him before we can turn around and drive out demons and destroy sickness and break the power of the devil. So here's some quick things I just wanted to read over this. Praise and worship and banners, because I'm doing communion Hebrew roots series. Banners are very much um, something that goes back to the Hebrew roots. Even the children of Israel marched under banners based on their tribes. And in Numbers 10.35, it said, When the ark set out, Moses would say, Rise up, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered. Let those who hate you flee before you. And he called the Lord in Exodus 15.17. We would say in English, Jehovah Nisi, our banner. God's name is yud heh It's really Yahweh, okay? But Yahweh Nisi, the banner. God, our banner. There's a connection there with the Lord's banner over his people is love. Remember that, Song of Solomon? There's a connection with the banner of God and his manifest glory being in our midst too. But in the Bible, you can see that banners, because I always thought it was really beautiful. As long as people do it right, I don't want to dwell on this, but I've also seen people that, They want to dance around with their little banner, but they're doing it to get attention on them, and that upsets me. And um, if I saw that, I would say something to them, but they want to get everybody looking at them and distract from Jesus. I I don't like that. But I do think it's really beautiful to see people worshiping God, and you see some of the banners and things like that. Banners in the Scripture are very scriptural, but banners were there to rally the troops for war. It was to bestow honor and love, and all the Scriptures are here in the notes. To communicate who you are and who you're associated with. To signal and attract attention. To herald an event to unify God's people. To show victories won and ground taken. A demonstration of God's presence in our midst. A rallying point even for healing. To put the enemy to flight and to mark a safe path to follow. And to minister and celebrate the Lord. I believe that the banners of the Lord are going to be all through heaven. I really believe that. See, to get into the glory realm, and now I'm going to start closing this thing out, but I want you to really give me your best ear. To get into the deep realms of God's manifest presence. Number one, we've got to come through the blood. That's why a lot of people don't get in the glory, because you see, even in personal prayer, 
the very first thing the Bible says, our Father, who's in heaven, hallowed be your name, all that, okay? The first one is our Father. And the reason why we're children of God is because we've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And so what Jesus is saying, number one, you need to get washed and covered in the blood of the Lamb. If you want to take Holy Communion, when you do that or not, the blood of Jesus is applied by faith. And so we're getting washed and covered in the blood. That's why I take time at the beginning of our services for us to take communion together because I'm helping people to get washed and covered in the blood because I know that it's through the blood that we're going to get in the deep places of God's presence. Throughout the tabernacle, the outer court had that grate of the bronze altar where the animal was killed for the sins of the people, and that grate was 1.5 cubits high, which was about three feet If you went from there into the holy place, the table of showbread, which represents the communion table where the bread and the wine was, was 1.5 cubits high, three feet. If you went into the holy of holies, where that ark of the covenant was and those two cherubim there, that mercy seat where the blood was applied, remember he'd sprinkle the blood seven times, that was 1.5 feet or 1.5 cubits, three feet high. The reason why those three places were exactly 1.5 cubits was because the Lord was saying it's the blood that's going to get you from the outer court to the holy place and it's the blood that's going to get you from the holy place into the holy of holies. It's the blood. And if we'll take time to get washed and covered and come through the blood of the Lamb, then you can go into the glory. And you even see this pattern because Moses, when they came to Sinai, He sprinkled them. He shed blood and sprinkled blood on the people. And he said, this is the blood of the covenant. You can just see the elders of Israel having little drops of animal blood on them. And the 70, they were able to go up with Moses into the glory. And the Bible says that they saw God and they ate and drank. I believe they saw a pre-incarnate Christ. But they saw the Lord and they ate and drank in his presence. And they didn't die. The only reason they didn't was because of those little blood drops on them. It's the blood that will bring you into God's presence. I think that we can all see that. As soon as Adam and Eve sinned and the glory left, what did God do? He killed an animal and covered him in animal skins. They had to have blood for the remission of sin. So the next thing, once you get washed and covered in the blood, the Bible says, hallowed be your name. There's that praise and that worship. That goes up unto God. The glory of the Lord has always been connected to the blood of Jesus. And the glory of the Lord has always been connected to worship. You can see the tabernacle pattern in River of Life. I mean, we take a moment to come to the blood. But then what? Worship. That praise and worship begins to go up. And what's happening is that praise and worship is incense. Unto God's throne. Praise and worship, prayer and intercession. Maybe some people don't know this, so I'll just quickly say, but the incense of the Old Testament was made of four different parts. Okay, four different um, uh, spices or whatever that were chopped up together, and it created that incense. But the four parts represent today in the New Testament time, praise, worship, prayer, intercession. And so when we come together and there's praise, there's worship, there's prayer, there's intercession, there's an incense that's being mixed that's going right up to the throne of God. And that incense is what brought 
the priest into the Holy of Holies. He had to shed blood for himself and he would go beyond the veil with a little censer of incense and he was burning that incense inside the Holy of Holies and that incense would fill that place up but it was the incense that brought him in. The same pattern is today we just have the reality and the fullness in Jesus Christ. What they had in the natural, we have in the spiritual. What they just had a picture and type of like a shadow of what was to come, we actually have the reality now. They were burning physical incense. I mean, now from our hearts, our hearts is the golden altar of God. And from our hearts is coming praise and worship, prayer and intercession now as an incense before the Lord. We're the living tabernacle. So praise and worship has a very key role to moving into the glory. And I'm going to tell you that one of the things that Satan fights tremendously is praise and worship. I know in River of Life, some of you guys have gotten saved in River of Life and you came in here and this is all you've known. Unfortunately, I'm just telling you that it's not, there's not freedom in praise and worship everywhere. And some of it, it's locked up. People just sit there and stare. They just stand there bored. And there's no freedom at all. It's very sad. If they understood their Hebrew roots, there wouldn't be all these goofy doctrines. Okay? There's freedom in praise and worship. And I'll I'll show you that as we go. But praise and worship is what brings in the glory. Do you remember David? When David brought the ark into Jerusalem, the ark is the glory. When David brought in the ark, how did he bring it? They were praising, they were worshiping, they were blasting the shofar, they were singing, and they were, it was the praise and worship that brought in the glory into Jerusalem. And David danced like a crazy man to the point to where his wife got mad at him. She said he looked stupid out there dancing like that, and he should have been a little more dignified. That's seriously, that's what she said. And you know what God's response to that was? He said, you will be barren and unable to have children until the day you die because you criticized David for dancing before me like that. That's how God responded to her. And how many places out there are spiritually sterile and barren because they criticize the moves of God, they criticize what they should be doing themselves. But here's the seven Hebrew words for praise. I want you to keep this because, see, there's a religious spirit that is very much against praise and worship. In a lot of churches, this is a real battleground. The first Hebrew word is yada, and it means to extend your hands, to throw up your hands, to worship with hands that are lifted up. And we have the New Testament scripture, lifting up holy hands unto the Lord. The second word is Shabbat, and this is to address with a loud tone. How I many of you guys like to get loud? Yeah? You know, church should be loud. People should be shouting unto God, seriously. You know, they go to a football game or whatever and act all crazy, and that's fine. That's fine. I'm not against that. I think that's cool. But they, why can't they do it at church, to Jesus? You know what I'm saying? There should be this shout unto God. The next one is Amar, to touch as an instrument, instrumental worship. You know, if people understood their Hebrew roots, did you know that there's churches out there that really believe that instruments are of the devil? 
and they don't think churches should have instruments, if they would just understand their Hebrew roots, you wouldn't be arguing and fussing about silly things like that. Of course there's supposed to be instruments. I mean, read the book of Psalms. This is what happens when people say, well, we're just going to take the Old Testament and we're just going to wad it up like a big piece of trash, throw it away, and we're just going to have the new. This is what happens. But when you understand the New Testament fulfills the Old, the next one, Barak, to kneel, to bless in adoration, to bow before the Lord. The next one, Taudah, to give thanksgiving with extended hands, offering thanksgiving unto God. The next one is Halal. This is where we get the word hallelujah from. To shine, boast, rave, celebrate, be joyful, to give light, to be given in marriage, to be clamorously foolish. This is the word where we get dancing and twirling from. And so you see under this word, you see ruah, to shout, leap, celebrate, gil, to twirl, spin about, to to clap, clap your hands. Tehillah is to sing or laud. But halal, did you know that Satan's name in Hebrew, Lucifer, but in Hebrew is halal. Look how close his name is to halal. And Satan, God made Satan, um, originally Lucifer was created with tabrets and pipes in him. And God doesn't make mistakes, okay? That was there for a reason. The tabrets had to do with like uh, drums and rhythms and beats. But the pipes had to do with melodies and chords. and, And he had that built inside of him. I believe, personally, I strongly believe Satan had something to do with leading worship. And that's part of the reason why he's so opposed to worship now. And really fights praise and worship. And there's a strong religious spirit. And I encourage you to be careful and pray. And don't get under the influence of a religious spirit trying to intimidate you. And keep you from being free in your worship. Because it's a structure. A religious spirit is a structure of death. Spiritual death and dryness. And it's a structure of even physical death. Where there will be this oppression that's there. But whenever you break out of that, the Bible says God's given us a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. When you put on that garment of praise, you get free in your praise. It breaks off that heaviness of the religious spirit. So people can enter into God's presence. Praise and worship is powerful. Praise also has to do with spiritual warfare. Remember, God always sent Judah into battle first, first, even though Judah was the fourth in line of those that were born. But he was always the first to go to battle, and Judah means praise. You remember the story where King Jehoshaphat sent the praisers in front and they topped the hill and looked down. There was just a sea of dead bodies. Why? Because the Kohanim, the priests were going and they were blasting the shofar. They were singing and shouting. They were dancing before God. They were probably playing the tambourine and and they were just rejoicing and, and spiritual warfare broke out in the camp of the enemy. So be free in your praise. Some of you, if, if you understood the Hebrew roots more, you'd understand that there's that amongst um, the time that Jesus lived and amongst the people that he ministered and amongst all those that were his disciples, there was no problem with praise and worship. I mean, these people would be in a circle and they'd be dancing and just singing and shouting. They were real free in their praise and worship. 
And Satan hates that. All right, the next three words, the three Hebrew words for worship, shacha, uh, which is to prostrate oneself before the Lord. The next one, atzab. You know, we used to have, a while back, we had, you know, the prophetic art. Remember that? During the worship. It's really beautiful. We might need to get back to some of that, but atzab means to carve or fabricate or fashion. This has to do with sculpting and painting as a form of worship to the Lord. And of course, segid just means worship. But freedom in praise and worship. Freedom. God doesn't want people, thank God that there's, people, there's places like River of Life that tells you to be free. I've been to too many places where you feel like an idiot by lifting your hands, let alone dancing. But let's be free in our worship. And then also God is saying to us to get beyond our own flesh and get in the spirit. See, the tabernacle, we're now the living tabernacle of God, the temple. And our outer physical body is the outer court. Your soul area, which is your mind and your emotions, to make it extremely simple, that area is the holy place. And your personal holy of holies is your inner spirit, man. And look at this, Revelation 1.10. Don't ever forget this scripture, okay? It says, John said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. God is wanting us to be a people that learn how, like John, to get past our flesh and to even get past our own human soul area and to get in the spirit and learn how to spend time with God, spirit to spirit. God is a spirit. Those that worship him, worship him in the spirit. And in truth, there's a deep calling unto deep. And the, the Psalms, I believe it's Psalms 41 or 42, but it says, as the deer pants for the water, my soul longs for you. And David talked about deep calling unto deep and the, the billows of God's presence, these waves washing over him. It's very much descriptive of what this vision I read earlier about coming into the Holy of Holies and the waves of that glory sweeping over them. And David was talking about these waves and billows, but he was talking about going deep where it's that deep calling unto deep. It's spirit to spirit. Too many people are trying to understand God with the flesh. There's no way you're really ever going to understand God with your human flesh. That's where your sin nature is. You can't see God with your natural eye. You can't really hear God with your natural ear. Sometimes God might have to yell at somebody to get their attention where they can hear him physically audibly, but that's not the way the Lord normally speaks. He normally speaks to your spirit man. And you can't fully, truly understand God with your human intellect and emotions, which are in a fallen condition, which have a lot to do with the way you were raised. It has a lot to do with your own personality. has a lot to do with this present world that we live in. There's too many variables that play in there. It's, it's, it's not a good filter. But God will speak to your spirit. And then you'll begin to understand that in your mind. But it comes from within. See, people want to understand God the exact opposite. When God created man, he created man to be a spirit that has a soul and simply dwelled in a body. But when the fall came, now you see everybody puts all their emphasis on their physical body, how good they look with their physical body. They spend a little bit of time with the soul area, but it's secular with education and therapy. But they don't spend anything to do with the spirit. But see, God created us to be a spirit being, number one. 
That's supposed to be number one. The soul is to be renewed. The mind is to be renewed. But then your physical body is simply you're supposed to die to it. We're dead to the flesh. It's just a shell. It doesn't run my life. To get into the deeper things of God, you've got to get in the spirit. That's where revelation is. And a lot of people truthfully don't understand that, but there's a revelation of God deep calling unto deep, hearing his voice, knowing him, but it's spiritually discerned. That's why the Apostle Paul, you can look this up, maybe write this down and look it up later, but he was saying that the things of the Spirit seem foolish to the carnal man, to the worldly man. But he said, I speak to those that are spiritual. I speak to them with spiritual words, talking about spiritual realities, because Paul understood revelation. He understood getting something from God, and it was not something he got from his physical body or even from his own human mind that he conjured up like one plus one equals two. Like he got, no, he understood how to get it from the Spirit of God. It was revelation. And the other thing um, I want to mention as I close out this sermon is the benefits of speaking in tongues, and then we'll pray. These things I'm talking to you about, there is the religious spirit, which is powerful and is spread all over the world. The religious spirit is very opposed to this sermon. Everything I've preached here about being on fire for God, not being lukewarm, not being content where you are, pressing into God. I hope that it's not just something you're, you're going, yeah, yeah, Pastor Scott, and in two weeks your life's still the same. I hope it's something that gets down in your spirit today. I hope it's something like when you leave out of here, there's some alterations to your lifestyle. But the, the religious spirit hates that message and hates me talking about freedom and praise and worship and hates me telling you to get in the spirit. It wants people to be carnal and worldly and dead spiritually. It hates me talking about tongues. Man, you want, that's, why do you think there's so much controversy about praise and worship and so much controversy about tongues? Because a religious spirit hates tongues. So here's some benefits about tongues. Number one, you utter mysteries. 1 Corinthians 14, 2. Uttering mysteries, you get great revelation. I believe some of the revelation I've gotten from God has come from just praying in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit prays through you the perfect will of God. Isn't that awesome? Look, we don't always know what to pray or how to pray, but the Holy Spirit knows exactly how to pray. How many times I've been burdened about something, I say, Lord, just pray through me. Just to myself, I'm praying by myself in the Spirit, and I'll feel just a, that burden lift because I know the Holy Spirit prayed through me the perfect will of God about it. Did you know that tongues is part of your armor? A lot of people don't even know that. Ephesians six eighteen. Paul talked about the helmet. He talked about the breastplate of righteousness. On and on you go. And the last thing he says is, oh, by the way, pray in the Spirit on all occasions. You know why? Because he was saying, put on the armor, and you pray in the Spirit on all occasions so your discernment's sharp. And that leads me to the next point. It will sharpen your discernment. It will help you be spiritually sensitive. The Bible says it builds up your most holy faith. Sometimes you're going through stuff and you need a boost of faith. Pray in the Spirit. Put on some praise and worship. Worship the Lord for a little bit. Get in the Spirit. Listen, when I say get in the Spirit, let me explain it for a moment. Your flesh says, I don't want to pray. 
Your flesh says, I don't want to read the word. Your flesh says, I don't want to do anything. I just want to sit here and watch this TV show. That's the flesh, okay? So you say, flesh, you don't run my life. You don't control my life. I will die to you, flesh. You're not going to run my life. And so you go and you begin to go somewhere where you can be alone with the Lord and maybe put on some worship. And here you are, you're coming through the blood. You better come through the blood or it may be pretty dry and sterile. But if you'll come through the blood and you begin to praise and worship the Lord and the glory of the Lord, his presence begins to come. And pretty soon you're, you're not in the flesh anymore. Now you're more in your soul area. And your mind is rabbit trailing. I got to do this later. Wait a second. Shut up, mind. I got to get focused on the Lord. Well, my mind's thinking this. And you're... And so what's happening is you're still in that soul realm, but as you keep spending time with the Lord, your soul area kind of comes to rest. And you're just focused on Him now. And now you're beginning to move into the Spirit. And you really, your Spirit is connecting to the Spirit of God in prayer. And this is where you can pray in the Spirit and you're deep in the things of God. You're beginning to move into the Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies in the glory realm... This is where you quietly are talking to him. You're listening to him. Maybe you're praying in the spirit. But also this is the realm of soaking in the glory. Too many people rush out if you'll soak in the glory for a while. Another thing that's interesting, not that it's a huge ordeal, but the enemy doesn't understand heavenly languages. So if you're praying a heavenly tongue, he's not going to know what you're talking about. So it's going to go straight to God. Why is that a big deal? It's not a big deal. Because you can pray in English and the devil understand every, every word and you're still going to get an answer prayer. But here's the thing. Sometimes when you pray, the enemy is listening and will try to resist you and will try to oppose your prayers. But when you're praying in a heavenly language, he doesn't understand that and there's no resistance. It just makes life a little bit easier. 1 Corinthians 13.1, heavenly language. Okay. You'll stay in the perfect will of God. How many of you guys want to stay in the perfect will of God for your life? Pray in the Spirit every day. Because the Holy Spirit will pray through you what you need. See, here you are praying in the Spirit, and you don't even know what you're saying. You're just going. Praying in the Spirit. Praying in tongues. You're just praying away. praying, And your mind's in there going, I have no idea what I'm saying. But the Holy Spirit is praying the perfect will of God. And the Holy Spirit is saying to the Father, Lord, you really need to help this guy. Man, he's... <laughs> if you don't help him, he's going to get right out of your will today. And he's praying the perfect will of God for you. And all of a sudden, grace comes. And you're right in the center of God's perfect will. Romans eight twenty six. You'll be strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit in you. Well, that's Ephesians three sixteen. sorry. You'll be strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit in you. Also, sanctification, James 3.8, talks about how can fresh water and salt water come out of the same area? It can't. But your tongue, he's saying, how can blessings and curses, how can good and evil come out of your mouth? It shouldn't be this way. I believe that as we pray in, the, in, pray in tongues, that God is sanctifying our speech and sanctifying our mouths and helping us to get where our tongues are under control and sanctified. I do believe that. Remember Isaiah said, Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. And the angel came and touched a coal to his lips and sanctified his mouth. I believe praying in the Spirit helps to sanctify the mouth. 
Remember James? How many have read the book of James? Y'all know what I'm talking about? It says the tongue is very unruly. It says if you can tame the tongue, then you'll, have, you'll be able to tame everything else. And so the tongue is something that's an issue. And so I believe as you pray in the Spirit on a consistent daily type basis, you're praying in the Spirit, God's helping you to tame the tongue in your life. Or another thing, great refreshing will come. I mean, you guys, when you're praying and worshiping in the Spirit, man, you feel so refreshed afterward. Great refreshing. And Jesus said in John 4, 23, that true worshipers worship in spirit and in truth. So worshiping in the Spirit, worshiping in tongues is something, obviously, Jesus was foreshadowing. He was speaking that that would come. God's warning worship to be from the heart. It's out of your spirit. It's out of your heart. It's not going to be... How many knows that you can tell when somebody's just saying something and they don't mean it. All right. Well, God, a lot of times I believe a lot of people are singing worship songs, but they're just singing out of their head and they don't even really mean it from their heart. They're, they just memorize the words. But God's wanting worship to be from your heart and not out of your head, but out of your heart. There's a big difference. And so worship comes from that place. So in this sermon talking about Yom Kippur, we are priests unto God. We are able to go into the glory realm if people will stop being lukewarm and passive and they'll start pressing into God. And quit trying to get other people to do it for you and bring it to you. I want God for myself. I want to be a part of the remnant that go after God with all their heart. And the way that we're going to get into that glory realm has come through the blood, but it's also worship and prayer. That's what brings you in is that incense, okay? So we're going to pray tonight, but I'm, I'm challenging you guys. I want y'all please hear me. I believe God has a move of God for river of life, but I'm going to ask this question because it's, it reflects in your life. Okay. How does your life reflect a heart that's really on fire? Is it showing up in your church attendance where you're really hungry? I mean, you, you just can't wait to come into God's presence. Is it showing up in your personal life of prayer? Man, I got to go pray today. I'm hungry for God. And it doesn't mean every time you pray, it's going to be easy. That This week, I had some glorious prayer times. I mean, some awesome prayer times. But I had two days that was very hard to pray. I was being resisted. But I'm not going to not pray just because the devil don't want me to. You can forget that. And so I went alone with God, and I prayed anyway. I had to fight through something. You know, it was a spiritual battle, but whatever. Does it reflect, does, does your... Being on fire, do you see that hunger to pray and hunger to be in the Word and, and that, that you want more of Jesus? You're just hungry for Him. Does it show up in your burden for souls? You know, I talk about after church on Fridays and Saturdays. and I tell people, you know, during the week too, I encourage people to do this, but take some pamphlets on your way home or on your way as we go out to eat, witness to some people. And I believe a lot of people do that, but does it reflect in your life that you really have a genuine burden for souls and you're willing to get out there and witness because that's what you know Jesus wants all of us to do. Me, all of us, we're all called to be a witness. Does this being on fire, do you see this? Or can you honestly say to yourself, maybe I was self-deceived and I thought that I was more on fire than what I actually am and I was... Um, like the Laodicean church, I was saying, well, I'm rich and in need of nothing. But in actual fact, the Lord says, no, 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 not everything's fine. I need to come in and begin to do some cleansing. 
So listen, I want us to pray. I'm going to pray for people later. But I want us to spend some time about this because I feel very strongly in this region that there is a strong man of religion. And people around here, they're not hungry for God. They're not on fire like they need to be. They're spiritually like spiritual zombies walking around. Seriously. And they're just, they're in this place of like the walking dead, man. You know, and I'm concerned for them. I'm not saying they're not going to heaven by God's grace. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I'm concerned for their spiritual condition. And God needs some people that are desperately hungry for him, that will press into him so that God can do a mighty work in you but then do a work through you. Just like this guy in the vision, Maloney, he went into the Holy of Holies and he saw those other people get healed and he experienced God for himself. He comes out. There's only four out of 400, mind you, that did this. But what? He comes out and goes outside the tabernacle to the lost people and saw them get saved, healed, and delivered. That's what God is wanting us to say, you know what, if all these other 400 people over here don't want to press in, that's their problem. I'm going after God. And you run in there, you receive from God, and then you can come out and you can go be a witness for him that's operating the power of God. And let me just say, my God, why aren't we seeing more on the streets like the early church? We really should. It should be normal Christianity to see more healings. We've seen some people healed in River of Life on the streets, okay? But there should be much more much more healings, people deliver from the demonic, and we've seen these things, we have literally have, but there's much more. But it's going to be people that are desperately hungry for God that are going to press in to Him. Don't think that, well, pastor will do it for me. It didn't work like that. And don't think, well, you know, maybe other people can do it and then I'll just receive. No, we each, each individual person is going to say, Lord, I'm going after you with all my heart, whether anybody else does or not. All right, so here's what we're going to do. I want us to go ahead and shut down recordings, and we're going to just spend some time. I want you to find a place by yourself to pray, and I want you to agree with me and say, Lord, forgive me for any lukewarmness. Forgive me, Lord, for things that are not where they need to be spiritually. Lord, and don't think to yourself, well, maybe they're fine. They're not. That's the voice of the devil, (laughs) okay? This is the voice of the Holy Spirit saying, draw in to God press into him and Lord I pray tonight if there is any of that lukewarmness or sterility forgive us I want us to make this place a place of prayer for a few minutes and just really go after God tonight and I'm going to pray I want you to pray also Lord forgive us in Dallas Fort Worth region for all this lukewarmness and this dead religion forgive us Lord don't pass us by sin revival Will y'all pray that with me tonight? Let's ask God to come down in power.